Love that song. Well done. Thank you. Well, this summer, believe it or not, is winding down. Can you believe it? I, I must be getting older. Age, as I say, aging is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. That's uh, where we're at. But uh, it's gone fast, and we've had a great summer. Vacation Bible School was phenomenal, as always. The Guatemala trip, CIY, CIY Engage, camp. Our young people have had an especially good summer. We've had baptisms, several baptisms and recommitments. And I've been to SITS on several of the Sunday nights, and we've had a large group of kids and really a good group of kids. So I'm looking forward to this fall. In September, uh, we're going to have family matters and uh, dedication, baby dedication the first Sunday in September, that parenting seminar with Boomer Roland, a marriage class with Mike Nichols, Wyatt Watercott is going to talk uh, about singles. Paul Boltman from Safe Haven Hospice is going to be here to talk about some aging issues. So September is a great opportunity to invite others to participate. It's a good outreach month to invite people either Sunday morning or to the parenting seminar or the marriage class or whatever. And I hope you'll take advantage of it. There's a book that one of our classes is uh, studying right now called Pray for One. Just pray for one and invite someone to participate in this family month. Now, for a few weeks here in August, we're going to talk about our relationship to the culture around us. And I'm doing this partly for our young people that are going to be going back to school. Uh, They're going to be taking that new faith and that new enthusiasm for Christ back into an environment where that faith will be tested. And also this is to, to encourage all of us to live good lives so that the people around us will be drawn to Christ. Now, I've been reading out of 1 Peter le- lately. I want to share a couple of verses. Verse, chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are special. If that doesn't raise your self-esteem, I don't know what will. You've been set aside to God that you may honor him in all that you say and do. And then down to verse 13 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among the unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges this world. We are temporary residents. We're strangers living in a foreign land. And we who follow Christ can sometimes be considered oddballs. But we want to be attractive oddballs. Last week, Jared did a fine job, uh, and and he asked, how can you live in a foreign world when the world is all about self? And a good question. And I love one line. He said, we have to learn to live set apart, not set for life. So how do we live as foreigners, set apart, living in this foreign land, Peter says two things. First of all, abstain from worldly desires. There's temptation all around us. There's powerful forces beckoning us to follow after the lusts of sexuality and materialism and popularity. And we want our kids to be holy unto God. And God wants us to be holy unto him so that we can be salt and light. And then the second thing is be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. The word properly there means good. Live good lives. Live in a way that is attractive. Be winsome uh, so that people are drawn to what you believe because of your behavior. So there's a negative side. Don't, don't give in to the world. Abstain. Stay holy. And then there's a positive side. Do live good lives, good, good and holy lives. Now, we had a family reunion last weekend. That's, that's where we were at, out in Omaha. And I saw some family I hadn't seen in six years. And then we worshiped with my first church where I preached at 40 years ago. 40 years ago this November was my first sermon there. And my first sermon, we had seven people. And now that church runs 300. 
And it was just a wonderful, wonderful weekend. However, I also got stopped by the police. <clears throat> Wasn't my fault much. We almost ran out of gas, and that wasn't my fault either, much. <laughs> and it was a long drive to get out there. You know, we, we took mom along and got, kind of wore her out, but she did fine. And we ate way too much, and we really got tired, but it was a great weekend. And if we were to focus on the police and the gas and the long drive and the fatigue, it would have been a terrible time. But if you focus on the people and the relationships and the reconnecting, it was a great time. So there was challenges but also opportunities. And that's what we have as a church. We have challenges living in this world. And we can make it depressing and awful and terrible and scary. Or we can look at the opportunities and see it as exciting and positive. Now, last week, Jared talked about Daniel. Daniel had challenges. He was a believer in the one true God uh, living in a foreign land like we are, and he could have moaned and groaned about it, and there were challenges, but there was also opportunities. And Daniel lived in a way that honored God and was attractive to people. But before we dive back into Daniel, I'm going to wait till next week to get back into him. I want to ask, what kind of a world do we live in today? You know, we're foreigners in this strange land. What is this land And then next week, we'll. so today we're going to talk about challenges, and next week more about the opportunities. Little Johnny comes running home from school. His mother meets him at the door. What did you learn at school today, Johnny? Mommy, we learned about tolerance. And mom says, oh, wonderful, Jesus taught us to be tolerant. I believe the number one virtue in America, by far, without question, is tolerance. And if you're not tolerant, you're a bad person. Now, these past few weeks, I knew I was going to preach on this, so I just listened to the radio and watched TV and, and the media I, just to confirm what I've been thinking, you know, from the Tony Dungy thing to the situation with Hamas and Israel and Putin and the, the international affairs and now ISIS and, and some things I see on Facebook. I am convinced tolerance is the number one virtue without question. One social commentator said, without exaggeration, it can be said that tolerance is the only accepted litmus test of morality. No other single category, not justice, not equality, not even freedom, has such wide moral support in the world. A national educator said toleration is the very moral glue that holds schools together. Well, that sounds good. And isn't it Christ-like to be tolerant? However, if tolerance is Christ-like, why do so many who preach it not like Jesus or Christianity or his followers? See, at one time, churches and preachers were the good guys in our country. And a shift is going on right now, transitioning to where churches and preachers are are the bad guys, and Christianity is seen as narrow and bigoted and and intolerant. In New York, a third-grade teacher stopped a child from reading the Bible in her free time. The child-crying child was threatened and told never to bring that forbidden book back to school again. And we just read stories and stories of that, and is that tolerance? What are we supposed to do with this? 1 Chronicles 12.32 The people of the tribe of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And that's what this series is all about. We have to understand the cultural atmosphere in which we live so that we can know what to do biblically and effectively and responsibly. But what is this tolerance stuff about? And why is Christianity just not, doesn't seem to fit? Why is the, a cross in a jar of urine considered art, but someone puts a cross up in public is considered offensive? I think we have to recognize today, when you hear the word tolerance, we're probably thinking in two different meanings. When Johnny comes home from school and says, we're learning about tolerance, he's learning one definition. 
But that's different from the traditional definition of tolerance. Now, the di traditional definition, according to Webster's Dictionary, is to recognize and respect others' beliefs and practices, etc., without sharing them. In other words, you tolerate someone you disagree with. Paul expressed the same attitude in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love endures all things, or it tolerates all things. Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So tolerance is taught in Scripture. And the traditional understanding of tolerance is about, first of all, respecting and protecting the legitimate rights of others, even those with whom we disagree and those who are different from us. Uh, this attitude is kind of, everyone has a right to their own opinion. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and the Constitution defends that right. And if my brother, let's, let, let's say, let's call him Logan. Logan says, you know, I've been to McDonald's recently, and I think Ronald McDonald is the Son of God. Constitution defends that right. You can believe that to each his own. He probably won't have a job here for very long, but we can respect his right to believe that. Traditional tolerance also means listening to and learning from other perspectives, cultures, and backgrounds. A Christian teen who respectfully attends a classmate's bar mitzvah would be demonstrating traditional tolerance, learning uh, about a different culture, appreciating the good things in another culture, you know, things like that. And then third, it's accepting other people regardless of race, creed, nationality, or sex. And Jesus is the best prototype for this. He spoke freely and respectfully to a Samaritan woman whom all Jews hated. He shared meals with tax collectors. He touched lepers, all strict taboos for Jewish men in his day. When he was hounded by a Canaanite who were historic enemies of the Jews, Jesus commended her faith and healed her daughter. Traditional tolerance exhibits a loving acceptance of people as individuals while not necessarily accepting their beliefs or their behavior. I love my neighbors. They're good neighbors. They probably don't believe what I believe. I still love them. Most of the time, when you hear the word tolerance, by news anchors, government officials, celebrities, it does not refer strictly to traditional tolerance. So I'm going to give you a new definition of tolerance, and that is that every single individual's beliefs, values, lifestyles, and truth claims are equal. Now, it's nearly not all that new. It's been around for a few decades in our culture, but it's new when you look at it historically. If you say or imply that you believe your view is better than someone else's, that's bigotry. If I say Jesus is the Son of God, that's okay. If Logan says he believes Ronald McDonald is the Son of God, under the Constitution, Logan and I have the right to hold our respective positions. I think Logan's wrong, but I will tolerate him and treat him with dignity and respect. That's traditional tolerance. Now, under the new tolerance, what Logan believes and I believe are of equal value. And if I say my belief is right and Logan is wrong, I'm a bigot. Someone wrote to Dear Abby, said, In my view, the height of arrogance is to attempt to show people the errors in the religion of their choice. So if I try to evangelize Logan and tell him that Jesus is the Son of God, and by implication, Ronald McDonald is not the Son of God, and that he is wrong, I am arrogant. I am now intolerant, and it's been a subtle but a very critical shift. And that's why the media today just cannot say that Hamas is wrong, or Israel, or Putin, even ISIS. You know, we just cringe at saying anybody is wrong. There's no bad guys. You know, these terrorists, they have their rights. It's, it's just different perspectives. And one of the outcomes, of course, is all religions are the same. You know what I'd like to do some Sunday? Probably won't, but I'd love to do it. Get a Hindu up here, and a Muslim, and a Jew, and a Mormon, and a Jehovah Witness, and ask them their view of God, their view of the afterlife, their view of humanity. And we'll just see if all religions are the same. How do you think that would go? 
The idea that all truth and all religious claims are, are equal is bogus. It's stupid. And I know I'm intolerant as soon as I say that. Logan, his belief that Ronald McDonald is the son of God is just wonderful. Oh, how good, how nice. You know, your God is as good as my God. Your religion is as good as mine, and I respect that, and I praise you for that. By the way, when you hear the word respect, it's not what you think it is. It's not just to treat someone with dignity. You have to, you have to praise a lifestyle or a choice you know, and agree that it's a good choice. British philosopher R.M. Harris says, Tolerance is a readiness to respect or praise other people's ideas as if they were their own. We need to approve and endorse and legitimize anybody's beliefs and lifestyle. Traditional tolerance says, I love Logan, but he's wrong. Under the new definition, that makes me a bigot. A writer in St. Louis calls it gratuitous cruelty. So if you believe someone else's lifestyle or belief is in error, you're cruel. And this is part of the reason why Christianity is quickly becoming the bad guys in our culture. Christians are mean-spirited and hateful because, frankly, our Lord Jesus Christ was a bigot. And the truth is, Jesus was the most tolerant man to ever live, and yet today he'd be considered a bigot because the definition has moved. All opinions are equal. All should be praised. Now, I'm going to show you a video just to show you the silliness of this. This is a red balloon. It's true, it's red, we all know our colors. The absolute truth is that this balloon is red. No, it's not. That's green. What? This right here is a green balloon. That is the prettiest yellow balloon. <laughs> yellow? This, this is red. Yeah, come over here. No, it's green. It's red! Yeah, I know, it's a red balloon. Hey, will you look at it from my point of view, please? What? Hey, nice blue balloon. Blue. It's green! Green? It's red. What? Why are you saying it's red when it's blue, huh? It's totally purple from here! Purple? Okay, you know what? Let's just settle this once and for all, okay? Where are you going? Hey, what color is this balloon? I only see in black and white. Hey, Mark, what color... There is no balloon. This is ridiculous! Hey, I know what the problem is. Look, uh, my mom taught me that this was blue. But, um, you know, then she said this is red and green yellow, you know, and on and on. <laughs> okay, I get that your mom taught you that that was blue, but I mean, that's not the truth. Whoa, why are you talking bad about his mom? Yeah. I'm not. Listen, I respect your mother. Thank you. And the way she raised you. She taught you that it was blue. Our moms taught us that it was red. That's the way it goes. I thought you oh. said it was green. It is green. See, I'm smart. I went to college. <laughs> and in college, I learned all these different theories about color. Really? And my color professors who have doctorates in color. Do you have a doctorate in color? Uh, no. It shows. Okay? <laughs> they can't even agree on one theory of color, so you have to look at all the different theories and pick which one works best for you. And green is great for me. That makes sense. Thank you. No, you can't just pick whatever color fits your life the best. Red is red. Okay, do you know the word intolerant? Yeah. Because that's what you're being right now. All right, you're shoving your opinion down my throat. Okay, it's not my opinion, it's the truth. <laughs> hold on, hold on. All we're saying is that we need to stop arguing about trivial things. Like truth. You know, the funny thing about truth is, it's true, whether you believe it or not. It's red, isn't it? I heard that. Very good. Okay, uh, let me use some implications of this new tolerance. Uh, one is relativism, of course, that there's many different descriptions of reality, and they're all true, all opinions are equal, and there's no rational way to decide between them. A third-grade teacher was having a hard time with a Middle Eastern boy, 
and he was disruptive and disrespectful. And when she tried to correct him, the boy insisted she had no authority over him because she was a woman. So the teacher called for a conference with the boy's parents, and when she explained what was going on, the father said the boy was right. Since she was a woman, in their cultural understanding, she had less value than a cow. And as a boy, his son was superior to her, and that was what his culture believed, and he didn't have to respect her. Well, under the new tolerance, the teacher has no recourse. You cannot tell anyone he's wrong. It's what he believes. It's what their culture believes. You know, this multiculturalism. Uh, how about cultures that abort female fetuses because they're of less value than men? Can't say that's wrong. Can't decide what's good or bad literature. A comic book is as worthy a, a study as Shakespeare or Homer. Everything is relative. Second implication is a loss of conviction. If I consider everyone's beliefs as equal to my own, there's no absolute truth, no absolute moral, morality, I can no longer feel any genuine conviction about my own beliefs. If there's no absolute truth, it's hard to be absolutely committed. If Logan's belief in Ronald Mc... He, by the way, he doesn't believe... Okay, just, just an example, in case you're wondering. If Logan's belief in Ronald McDonald is as legitimate as my belief in Jesus Christ, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be willing to die for Jesus. If Jesus is on the same plane as Ronnie, I, I, I'm not going to be going too far in my convictions for Christ. Now, this has been growing for a number of decades in our culture. It's not really all that new. Uh, the United Nations declared 25 years ago that the 90s was to be the decade of tolerance and the decade to do away with convictions because convictions cannot coexist with tolerance. William Wilberforce had a conviction back in the 1800s which came from the Bible that slavery is wrong. 1900s, by the way. <laughs> he fought for 50 years to end slavery in Britain. It is his, if his belief was not any better than anyone else's, he wouldn't have that conviction. I mean, who can say that slavery is wrong if all beliefs are equal? In politics, you'll hear, well, though personally opposed to abortion, I defend a woman's right to choose. That's a typical postmodern lack of conviction. And it makes us into moral zombies. There's nothing worth dying for. And if there's nothing worth dying for, there's nothing really worth living for. If you're not willing to die for Jesus, don't try living for him. It's not worth it. Third outcome, tyranny of the individual. One person can object, and it affects everyone else. 99 students can agree to songs at graduation that have God in it, but one student could say, well, that's violated my civil rights, and they'll win. One person can obstruct the rights of the majority. Now, if the student had been requesting the right to not participate... That's one thing. Christians do this all the time. I remember sitting out dance classes in sixth grade, physical education class. Everyone was participating, doing their two-step around the gym and all that. My church thought dancing was a sin. And we had the right to believe that. And I was free to not participate. God bless America. But under the new rules today, no one else should have been allowed to dance because that was offensive to me, the tyranny of one person. By the way, I don't think dancing is a sin unless I do it. <laughs> then it is a sin. Number four, disintegration of human rights. See, what happens with all this relativism, you can't judge another culture wrong. And so widow burning in India is okay and forced abortion in China is okay. Obliterating six million Jews in that culture was okay. One columnist admitted that the forcible genital mutilation performed on young females in many Islamic countries to prevent women from experiencing sexual pleasure is despicable. And she wanted to condemn the custom, 
but she had no standard by which to judge other cultures. In other words, I want to say it's wrong, but I can't if I'm truly tolerant. You see, when you start getting down to specifics on this and really start just thinking a little bit, no one really wants this new definition of tolerance. See, Logan's belief in Ronald McDonald is not worthy of my praise. The Bible makes it clear that all values, beliefs, lifestyles, and truth claims are not equal. And we all inherently know that. There are views and values that are wrong. Everyone believes this, but nobody wants to say it. Okay? No one is really tolerant in the way people promote it today. No one is. Even the most tolerant people have their values and absolutes. Professor Robert Simon teaches philosophy at Hamilton College, said a certain percentage of his students deplore what the Nazis did, but their disapproval is expressed as a matter of taste or personal preference, not moral judgment. One student told him, of course I dislike the Nazis, but who's to say they're morally wrong? So you have disintegration of human rights. Now, I think this is starting to change. I think in the last decade or so, 9-11, and now Hamas and ISIS, and I think people are realizing we can't tolerate everything. Fifth implication, fifth outcome, descent into extremes. Some have proposed, for instance, polygamy as a solution for the problems of working mothers. One work at home, one work at, at work. Uh, see, there's no absolutes. Who's to say, well, I guess that's okay. Is there any behavior that's wrong? And the logical end is that anything goes. If I want to commit bestiality with my dog, it's my prerogative. Hey, I love my dog. Who do you say that I'm wrong? See where this goes? I'll guarantee you, my private life is your business. I'll guarantee you, uh, politicians, their private life is our business. It affects the whole country. Now, and then to come full circle, the new tolerance leads to, ironically, intolerance. Why is Christianity not tolerated in a tolerant culture? Why was the Miss Illinois pageant winner several years ago denied scholarship money because she was a student at a Christian college? A nine-year-old boy in Virginia was asked to respond to the question, what do you do when you're afraid? He said, pray. The adult discussion leader told the boy that his answer was nice but inappropriate and therefore could not be added to the list with the other students' contributions. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's arrogant. To say you're the only way to God is intolerant. And yet Jesus, who had his convictions, did more for women and more for civil rights and more for slaves than anyone in history. True tolerance requires convictions and some beliefs. United Nations Declaration, Declaration of Principles on Tolerance said tolerance involves the rejection of dogmatism and absolutism. Well, Christianity has dogma and absolutes, but so does Islam. So does Hinduism, so does Buddhism. They all have absolutes. And the irony is the proponents of the new tolerance are dogmatic and absolute. Now, one time we lived in a Judeo-Christian culture. I, I grew up on the tail end of that, you know, where right and wrong is based on a higher authority. And during my growing up years, I saw the transition from the Judeo-Christian culture to, an, to a post-Judeo-Christian culture. You know, God is dead, that kind of thing. And now we're seeing an anti-Judeo-Christian culture. And we are living in a foreign land. Now, I don't want this to be an attack the world thing. I know this is more the challenge side, the negative side. I don't want to be fear-mongering. And it's easy to become hateful and angry and belligerent. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do as Christians. That's not our calling. And that's not what Daniel did. Next week, we'll see how he lives a good life 
in the midst of a very tolerant, so-called tolerant culture that wasn't very tolerant. How do we engage these times? How do we live with convictions in a society that doesn't allow conviction? How do we evangelize in a society that says evangelism is bigotry? How do we be gracious and loving and tolerant without compromising? Daniel is a prototype for us. I would encourage you to read Daniel 1 through 6 this week. We'll look at it next week. Let's pray. Lord, these are changing times, um, and they're challenging times. And yet these are times of great opportunity and times where we can show the attractiveness and the truth of Jesus Christ. And we can show what true loving tolerance really looks like. And so I pray that we will be tolerant Christians who hold to the ways of Jesus Christ. Christians who won't tolerate abuse, wrongdoing, and injustice, and poverty. Christians who won't tolerate slavery, human trafficking, because those things are wrong. Lord, give us the courage to speak truth, but in a gracious, loving, tolerant way. We ask this in his name. Amen.